0: what does the Bible say about mental illness? And so I have four things for you and they're pretty practical and we're gonna move through them um, pretty quick. So the first thing is this, and we're in Psalm 34 right now. We must not believe that mental illness or mental struggle is an unbiblical idea or impossible for a Christian. We must not believe that mental illness is an unbiblical idea or impossible for a Christian. So Psalm 34, 17 through 20 says this, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps, his, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. So the Psalms, they are full of moments like this one that we're hearing right now. They are full of moments where there's this overwhelming flood of emotion that comes from living life in a fallen, sinful world. And so David, here at this moment, he is crying out in the midst of a difficult circumstance. And, and what he's doing is he's he's using terminology that helps us to relate to him as a human being. He says, cry for help in troubles. And he uses the words broken and crushed. Right? He's he's not actually at this moment, most likely suffering any broken bones, and most likely he's not crushed, mainly because he would be dead. I'm assuming that, I don't know, maybe some of your body can get crushed and you can live. But I think in totality, if you are a crushed person, you are also a dead person, right? So he's, he's talking about something that's not necessarily related to his physical being in this moment. And in fact, he's talking about crying for help, with uh, crying for help in the midst of troubles. I don't know how many of you have ever just like randomly cried out of your finger, right? Like our body doesn't just usually cry on its own unless there's like some sort of wind or the you know that terrible. Oh, there's dust in the air. I'm not really crying. There's dust in the air. Most of the time, when you cry, unless it's some sort of response from your eyeball trying to evacuate some sort of foreign object, you're crying because there's been something that has caused you emotionally to to cry. I have all boys, and right now they're still at the age where it's like, hey, dad, can I have some juice? I'm like, no, bud, let's just do water tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to do water, dad. My denial of juice has caused him some sort of trouble, there's something that has elicited this crying out. And so I say all of that, like it's kind of dumb and kind of silly, but I say all of that to make a point. What the psalmist is doing here is he's wanting us to understand and to relate to this idea of having all of these things weighing down on us that cause us mental struggle. And so what David is doing is he's linking the troubles that we face in life to the way we process mentally. All of these external forces that are coming in, these struggles, these things that are causing him to be a broken man, to be a crushed man. And now at this point, that can be sin. That can simply be living in a fallen world. It can be a mistrust in God. It can be a number of things. But what I'm saying is we are the types of people who struggle mentally. And he is, as I was kind of thinking about this, I was like, well, it seems like David is kind of like likening our mind to like a coin counter. You know, like a coin counter, you can go into like Publix or somewhere and you can take like a 50 gallon barrel of coins and you just dump them in. And all of a sudden it tells you, like, you have $55.32. And it's like, how do you know exactly how much I have? Right? It's because of the coin counter its job is to take all of this mess and to process it and to to process it in a way that makes sense, right? To do things in an ordered right way. And so what David is telling us is that there are moments in life where all of these things are dumped into the coin processor of our, our mind, and we don't quite process them just right. And so as I think about this, I think when Things happen to us in our lives. There are two ways that we can process them mentally. One is the right way, and two is the wrong way. You guys are geniuses. And so what happens in the right way of thinking, in the right way of processing, we see God and we trust what God can do and what God is doing. And so you have this moment where all of these things are piled in. They're difficult, they're struggles, they're horrible things. And you say, okay, all, all right, I, th- this is crazy. It's too much for me to handle, but I trust that God is like in control of this. I don't really know what's happening. I don't know what comes next, but I just, I just trust that God is bigger than all of these things. That's a right way of thinking. Well, A, a wrong way of thinking is not necessarily to mistrust God, A wrong way of thinking is more often thinking um, what we see in our lives and, and all of these struggles that are coming in and our ability to handle them and then finding ourselves in a moment of despair because we realize I can't do any of this. And so on one instance, you have a person who trusts God, even if they can't understand what's happening. In the second instance, you have a person who is trusting in themselves and realizing I can't do any of this. So we're not necessarily trusting God and not trusting God, even though that's kind of what's happening. We are trusting God. And then in different moments, we are trusting ourselves and becoming disappointed when we fail. I think that's what's happening to David here. He is realizing all of this stuff is happening. I can't do any of this. I'm broken. I'm despaired. I'm, I'm a crushed man. And so what I want us to realize is that our mental struggles, or even mental illnesses, they cause us to see ourselves under a microscope. We realize we can't live up to our expectations, and then we sink deeper and deeper into despair. Because what we end up doing when we're already struggling mentally, when we're not processing right, is we end up looking at ourselves and forgetting in our peripheral that God is up here in control of everything. And so we end up looking down and seeing ourselves and seeing all of the ways in which we're falling short, all of the ways in which we can't do it the right way. And then the lie we end up believing from the devil is look at you, look how awful you are. You can't do any of this. You can't control any of this. And in fact, even if you think you could, you would probably just make it worse. And so I think most often, when we struggle mentally or even in mental illness, what ends up happening is we are believing a lie that it's all about us, when in reality, if we would take a breath and realize that it is all about God and his abilities and his control and his care of us, and we let him take control of those moments, we can take take a sigh of relief, realizing that the devil can say whatever he wants about me, because I have a God who is bigger than any of it. But yet we're still those people. We're still people who struggle mentally. But I think this is on the point that we are given the most hope, maybe even the ultimate hope from the Bible. God doesn't need put together people. Our sorrows, our struggles, our illnesses are not for a moment off-putting to God. Whatever you're struggling with mentally, God doesn't look at you and think, ah, they're just, they're too far gone they're too messed up for me. God sees beyond all of our mental struggles. He sees beyond all of those moments, all of those weaknesses, all of those failures, and he makes provision for us in those moments. So David here in Psalm 34 is crying out. He has all of these difficult things, and it ends like this. This is David, the same broken man. He says this in verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So even in this moment of difficult mental state, David is saying, I can't do any of this. I'm a broken man, but praise God that he has given provision for me when I fail, when I am weak, when I am broken, when I am in despair, he is not. And we have to realize that that is our only refuge in those moments. And so I think in the moments when you are struggling, you need to take a moment and you need to go to the Lord and pray. You need to cry out. You need to let him know the things in your life that he already knows. But you need to take a step in giving them to him and then trusting him with them and exclaiming to him, but God, in the midst of all of this, you are the only one who is in control and you will let nothing come upon me that you haven't planned. Point two, people may struggle with mental illness that can only be explained by Genesis 3. Uh, So the fall into sin, so Genesis chapter three is the moment, you know, Adam and Eve are in the garden, right? And Eve is tricked by Satan and she ends up um, eating of the fruit that God told them not to eat of. And then Adam comes in and he's just a total wimp and he's like, yeah, let's do this. I'm such a bad husband, right? Like, come on, man. And he just comes in and he goes right along with it. And the next thing you know, we all struggle with sin because of these two fools. And that's what I want us to realize. We all struggle with sin because of that original sin. None of us are without sin because of our first mother and father sinning. We are all born into a sin, that, into a world that is ridden with sin because of their disobedience. And now their disobedience is our disobedience. And so we live in a broken world where, all of us, every inch of us is corrupted by the fall, by sin. And so that doesn't mean that we're as bad as we possibly can be. What original sin means is that all of our being is stained by sin. So there's none of us, like none of our being, whether it be our mind, our hands, our feet, your back, whatever it is, None of it is not affected by sin. So John chapter nine, verse three is this story of Jesus healing a man born blind. And so like 47 years ago, when we were in John chapter nine, we talked about this, but they say, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so what Jesus is making super clear in this moment is that this man wasn't born blind because he had bad parents. And this man wasn't born blind because of what God saw he would do someday later. He was just born blind because This man was born into a fallen, sinful world. And what Jesus is saying is actually he was born blind, having not sinned, which, I mean, the man did sin, but not to make him blind. He was actually born blind so that God, through a miracle, could reverse what sin had done. And that reversal of what sin had done to him was a picture of what Jesus was going to do on the cross for our souls. He was going to reverse the corruption of sin in this moment in this man, and then he would eventually reverse the corruption of sin for those who would look upon the cross of Christ in faith. But back to this, there are infirmities that we face in this life that are going to require expert medical attention. And and the mind shouldn't be something that's disqualified from this truth, since our mind also suffers from the effects of sin in the world. Just this week, some major things happened. And guess what? I doubt it was any of your fault, but I bet it still caused you some sort of angst. Like, what's happening to the world? You didn't do that, and yet you're still suffering from it. There are things in this life that will affect us simply because we live in a fallen, sinful world. And your mind is one of those things. And so there will be varying degrees of struggle mentally. Maybe for some of you, you have, I don't know, I don't want you to have this, and I don't think you do. But to an extreme degree, maybe there's someone in here who struggles with multi, multiple personalities. Not because you want to have like a second person you live with named Kitty, but just because it's something that you struggle with and that is like inherently a part of who you are. Now, maybe it's not like that. Maybe it's something like depression or maybe anxiety. And it's not because you go around being like, you know what, I'm gonna walk into this room full of crowded people and I am not gonna trust God. And then all of a sudden you're just anxious. You're like, oh man, there's a crowd full of people and I can't do this, right? Sometimes we can struggle with mental illness simply because we live in a fallen world and we are subjects of the fall. And maybe you walk into a crowded room and anxiety comes over you simply because you've walked into a crowded room. And so what I want to say at this point is that when it comes to diagnosing what may be a clinical form of anxiety or depression or some sort of other mental illness, right? And mental illness is an awful term because like it just makes you feel bad like even more it's like if you're struggling with depression and then all of a sudden now you have an illness it's like man this like it just keeps coming right like can we call it mental struggle or something but what i'm saying is at this point i i want to make sure that we don't say more than what the bible says right i i don't, don't want to say more than ultimate healing is only found in jesus christ whether you struggle from anxiety because you don't trust the Lord in a situation or whether you struggle with anxiety because you have a chemical imbalance, what I'm telling you is there are things that can help that, but ultimately the only thing that cures that is an eternity with Jesus Christ. The only thing that will give you ultimate hope in the midst of those moments is the fact that one day you will be completely healed, completely cured, and completely satisfied for the rest of eternity with your Savior. But I can't say much more than that. Sometimes in this life, we struggle with things simply because the world is a sinful, bad place. And if you think you're one of those people, you, you can feel free to come talk to me or talk to one of your leaders. And then we need to have a conversation with your parents and your parents need to have a conversation with a doctor. And that's all I'll say about living in a fallen world and dealing with mental illness. Jesus is only ever our ultimate hope But there are maybe steps you need to take now that require the Word of God and a means of healing that He may have provided through a doctor. Number three, the Bible makes a clear distinction between mental illness and a lack of trust in God. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. So what we need to be careful is to not give our lack of faith in God, a self-prescribed medical diagnosis. So, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there is a relationship that Paul in in the book of Philippians is drawing between anxiety and then faith to seek God and then peace that comes out of that seeking. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is there are moments in your life when you will simply be anxious because of some sort of circumstance, and in that moment as a believer, and and I'm talking about those of us who don't struggle with some sort of clinical mental illness right? And so let me just explain to you what that looks like. You have three children, um, and then you find out your wife is pregnant with a fourth child. It's just a completely random example. That is a cause for at least a slight moment of, wait, what? I love children, but another one. And let's just say you already know this fourth child is going to be a fourth boy, Completely random example. I just feel like there's someone who has suffered with that in the past 17 months, somewhere in that time range. Yeah, just another random number, too. I didn't do math about my own life, just a random number. So, what Paul would be telling us to do in these moments, because, right, it's okay, there's anxiety. In this moment of anxiety, I need to go to the Lord and ask Him to give me the faith to believe that He will overcome these circumstances and to realize that I will be okay. And I'll have a baby boy and I'll name him something like, rocks, right? A fourth boy named rocks. And then realizing, okay, I've given this to the Lord. I trust the Lord because I know what he's done in my life. And then I can have a peace come over my friend and realize that he's going to be with my friend and rocks and his wife, Snelsey, and everything's going to be okay. But what Paul would have us do in these moments, right? He would say, okay, Tyler, you need to look at that moment of anxiety and you need to discern what that was, right? You need to look at that depression. You need to look at that sorrow and you need to break down the process. All right, so here's the process. You have anxiety, seeking and trusting in the Lord and peace. What the Lord would have me do, uh, my friend do in this moment, he would say, okay, you are at peace now. How did you arrive there? Oh, it's because you sought and trusted in the Lord okay, that's awesome. You saw and trusted the Lord when you were anxious. And so actually your anxiety was a moment of distrust in what God would do. Your anxiety was a moment of distrust that God is good and would keep you through this moment. And so the question is this, is there a lack of peace in your life, not actually because you have a clinical mental illness, but because you do not trust God with the circumstances that are causing you anxiety? is your lack of peace, i.e. your mental struggles, your anxiety, maybe your depression, is that actually a product of your mistrust in God? Is that actually a product of viewing God too small? God, I don't know how my friend's going to have a fourth child. He can barely be the father of three children. How for? Because God is greater than our inabilities. God is greater than our failures. God is greater than our weaknesses. And in fact, the Bible tells us that when we are weak and we know that we are weak, and when we confess our weakness to him, we are afforded his strength. And so I I will tell you, peace doesn't come from an instantaneous fix for your problems. It doesn't come by simply coming to the Bible and being like, okay, okay, uh, all right, uh, this is this this school year is really causing me a lot of anxiety. Uh, we always thank God, Col- Colossians chapter 3, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have, okay, blah, 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 uh, just as you have learned it, okay, uh, and so from that day you heard, okay, that didn't help anything. There, there are no instantaneous fixes where you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to get some new shoes and that will make me happy. Or I'm just going to go to the Bible real quick and just read a random thing. And then all of my problems will be solved. There are no instantaneous fixes for the mental struggles that we have. That peace only comes by knowing that God is bigger than our problems. That peace comes Only by confessing and trusting that God is bigger than all of the things that are causing us anxiety or all of the things that are causing us to be depressed or all of the struggles and difficulties that we are facing in life that are messing with us mentally. Not even our problems change God's care for us. Jesus tells us as much in Matthew 6. He he tells his disciples, listen, if God clothes the flowers of the field and he provides for the birds of the air, how much more will he give you what you need? be anxious for nothing. That's Jesus telling his disciples that God will give us all that we require. You don't require a Lamborghini. You may, however, require faith, a a renewed desire of trust, and the Lord will provide those things for you. And then finally, we cannot let a mental illness be an excuse for sin. So whether you are on medication and you struggle with a mental illness, or whether you Struggle with mental struggles because of a mistrust from God, or just the little moments of struggle in your life, those are never an excuse for sin. The Bible never gives us a passage that says, yeah, but if a doctor tells you you have a mental illness and that causes you to sin, free pass. We're never told that. Psalm 38, we'll wrap it up here pretty quick. So Psalm 38, four through eight. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. That's disgusting. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. That's sad. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. So not only is mental illness not an excuse for sin, quite the contrary, often sin makes those things worse. So what Psalm 38, four through 10 is doing is it, it pictures sin. It gives us a, a portrait of what sin does to us mentally, right? Psalm 38 is, is essentially, well, it starts out, oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Why? Because this guy, David, has done something wrong and he's now crying out to the Lord not to forsake him. Father, I've been an idiot. Please don't kill me. And so then we see in verses four through 10, the effects of this sin, right? David has embraced his sin and his sin has turned on him. It didn't give him what he desired. It didn't give him what it promised. It actually turned on him. It attacked him and it has began, begun to destroy him from the inside out. His sin ended up exacerbating all of the mental struggles that he had so much that he's like, listen, my side burns. Maybe it's my gallbladder, I don't know, but I'm hurting. He is physically in pain because of the sin that he has been practicing. And all of the struggles mentally have now culminated in him crying out to the Lord, basically saying, listen, again, I'm a crushed man. So think just for a moment as we end, think about a fire in a fireplace in a house, right? That that fire is a beautiful thing. It's somewhat of a scary thing, right? Because it's fire in your house but it's in a fireplace. You sit around it, you're, you're warm, you, you revel in the beauty and the crackling of the spruce that you've just thrown in, and you, you love it. It's, it's, it's just a great moment. But, but what you do is you look at that fire and you realize, okay, I need to put just the right amount of wood on it, because if I put too much wood, it's going to blaze and it might get too hot, and then all, you, all of a sudden there's like flames coming out of my chimney, and the next thing you know, your house is on fire. right? But we don't get to that point. We just revel in the beauty and we keep the fire in the fireplace. Now, imagine a uh, child you have that could someday be a serial killer coming in with a gallon of gasoline and being like, I love that fire. And they toss on this beautiful, wonderful, but also kind of scary fire, a gallon of gasoline, right? No one would be so foolish to walk in And be like, this is so beautiful. Let me, it's kind of dying down though. Instead of putting a piece of wood on it, I got an idea, (laughs) right? No sane person would do that. But this is often what we do in the midst of our mental struggles. We see something just as dangerous as a fire, not as beautiful but we see something or something is in our mind or causing some sort of turmoil, some sort of struggle. Maybe our mental illness has been um, exacerbated by circumstances in our lives. And we see that fire and we know the danger it poses. And yet we decide, you know what will make this better? You know what will solve this problem? Not turning to the Lord and trusting him or crying out to him to help me, but I'm going to sin to solve this sorrow that I have. And it's exactly like throwing gasoline on a fire. And the next thing you know, you are more anxious or more depressed than you were before because you have decided that sin would help when in fact it has caused a house fire in your mind. And so when we introduce sin into the situation, it causes the fire to blaze out of control. And so each of us, as we close, each of us must be careful to examine our own hearts. Each of us must be very careful to examine our own hearts and to honestly assess the mental state that we have by these four categories. Whether or not it's something that we need to seek further expertise on, whether it's simply a product of the fall and you're not really doing anything to make it worse, whether it's a a mistrust of God, or whether it's actually because you are sinning and your sin is actually exacerbating your anxiety, you have to assess what your mental struggles are in your own life. And you have to do so honestly, because there is no healing from any of these things unless we understand what it is that's causing them and what the actual solution is for them. And so whether it's being on medication and also being in the Word, or repenting of your sin and getting in the Word, The one thing I do know is that we are all in need and we are all totally reliant on Jesus for any sort of eternal healing and any sort of eternal hope. Listen, you may find yourself someday taking medication for some sort of illness and finding that it really doesn't work like you think it should. Your only hope is going to be that someday you will be fully healed with your Savior in heaven. And if you are struggling because of your sin, the one thing you need to realize is that this side of heaven, you will never be without sin. And your only hope is to place your trust in a God that was willing to die for you and to take the punishment of your sin. Your only hope and your only rest will come from the person of Jesus.